You're listening to the Collateral Damage Podcast with Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh. On our podcast, we will be discussing the collateral damage caused by addiction, which is currently impacting countless individuals, families, and communities nationwide. You can listen to previous and future episodes on your favorite listening platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can also help us reach other listeners by leaving a comment, sharing on social media, leaving a review, or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch videos of all previous and future episodes of our podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsors. So, um, so Matt, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so Matt Gannam joining us today and Maureen, I know that, uh, you, you and Matt go back a little bit, right? She's my adopted mother. (laughs) (laughs) I had to write a book and put him in it and, and, call him out on when am I going to be able to adopt you in the book so that he would finally say that, but now he has no choice. Yeah. So we filed, we filed papers. Yeah. We're going to make it happen. The adoption's coming. Yeah. The adoption's coming. coming. I love through, it. Through the system. So. Yeah. That's fantastic. And um, so person in recovery. Yes. Is yes. that how you identify? Do you do person in recovery, addict in recovery? No, I am a recovering heroin addict. I celebrated 13 years, April go, 21st. Yeah. And I get the language change and everything, but uh one of the things that I that I take a lot of pride in is the stigma mm-hmm. that's attached to it and being able to overcome the odds that are stacked up against us and trying to inspire other people. Right. I think it's, and, and I respect the people that, that use the language. I, I do understand that there's an aspect that needs to be changed for people to accept it, but I like mm-hmm. smacking people upside the head with mm-hmm. it. So when, you know, get, when I was doing like testimonies in at the state house, like I want, I want them to know, like to emphasize that I'm, you know, I was a heroin addict. Right. I'm in recovery. Look what I've been able to accomplish. And I'm no different than you. I'm no different than the next person. Right. And I want them to see that they can like achieve greatness. That they can do things that like when you're, when you're trapped in addiction, you can't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. That like if you can put the drugs down and stop moving forward and, and into your recovery and getting clean, that like literally the, the possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. Like with what you can do. So well, Maureen to- and I had this conversation the other day. Yeah. Mine's probably going to yell at me. No, you know, I, I don't think I understood as well as I do now that, that yeah. perspective between you and Mike and Amy Dresner. Mm-hmm. I have a, I, I, you know, I understand. I definitely understand something, which is, I mean, this is what it's all about, right? Yeah. You know, I, is, is getting different people's perspectives and then understanding them. I, right. you know, so I, I definitely understand in a different way now. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I, me personally, I, mm-hmm. I use something similar, just addict in recovery yeah, or recovered yeah, yeah. addict, depending on the, the environment. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it is, it's what I identify as yeah. and it's our words and, and I use them That's to it. have an impact as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like if we get rid of the impact and we get rid of the impact. Yeah, if, we soft, if we soften everything and we try to make it, you know what I mean? Just in like a different light or to be more acceptable than we're compromising like who we are. Sure. Now that's my personal and The pain, pain. and the yeah, journey. And that's my personal opinion. Again, like going back to like the people that want to identify mm-hmm. in that way, like that's the language that they choose to use. Yeah. I've always been that like uh, in, trying to be in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like even just like with my poetry, when I started putting it out there, people used to like push me not to mm-hmm. because of like how graphic it was. Or, well, oh, you hard. don't want to talk. You don't want to talk like that. You don't want to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. You don't want to share your story, even like, you know, family members, whatever. Um, they, like they wanted to be kept in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I'm a very, as addicts, we're defiant by nature. So I was like, yeah. oh yeah, you're going to tell me that I can't talk <laughs> like this? Like, okay, I don't care who's there. 
governor, mm-hmm. mayor, state senators, reps, you know, politicians in Washington. Like that's how I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk because that's who I identify with. That's my story. That's my mm-hmm. struggle. That's also what le- you know gave me the motivation to stay clean. So I never turn back to that low life homeless junkie that I was when I was getting high. Mm-hmm. Did that? Did that hurt? I'm sorry. Just a little. <laughs> Just a little. Just that a little. Last I was word. talking about acting. That... Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. There was a time. There was. There was. I, you know, people, people see me for for a little different than who I was back then. But like when I was getting high, I was a complete scumbag. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a completely different person today. Mm-hmm. And um, but when I'm getting high, like I'm not to be trusted. I'm a lying, cheating, stealing thief. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I can so. identify with that. <laughs> and so. I think language is powerful. I think words, I mean, obviously, like, the poetry thing has been a huge therapeutic tool for me and staying clean, but, like, words have an impact. And, like, mm-hmm. even sometimes just trying to, like, lay the hammer on somebody so they can, like, open their eyes and, and, and just feel it. Like, feel whatever that pain is or whatever, you know, whatever that triumph is, like, hmm. I, I think that, you know, people that have a way with words, like, it makes a huge impact on people that might not not have Absolutely. that experience with it or might be, you know, foreign to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So it helps them identify too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, being able to talk about something and, and seeing how similar we are or how much we share, um, you know, I think is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all about building connections. I mean, that's what, mm-hmm. that's the basis of recovery is trying to, when I got high isolated mm-hmm. and I was alone, mm-hmm. I don't like sharing and I don't want you messing <laughs> up my nod. Yeah. So like when you're isolated and alone, you sit with all that misery and you're in the same like rinse repeat cycle of waking up, hustling, getting high, going mm-hmm. to sleep, waking up, doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Like the exact opposite of that is building a connection. It's identifying. It's, mm-hmm. you know, just connecting with different people over similar interests or, or that support system that you have. Right. And I feel like that's like the biggest springboard to, to, to achieve recovery is building those connections and finding, Absolutely. you know, your path to get out of that. So, Oh, I mean the fellowship mm-hmm. that drew me in. Mm-hmm. I was alone and isolated. Um, I was definitely not, uh, I did not fit in, mm-hmm. you know, like when I got, when I got sober and came out of a uh, detox or treatment, I did not fit into whatever was going on out here. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, stop doing drugs, be normal. I was like, I mean, I'll try that, but yeah, that's not, not- I don't have that skill mm-hmm. set. So, you know, being in, uh, being in the halls and being around those other folks and, and sharing stories and talking like we talk, but also seeing them being well, Mm-hmm. was huge for me you know what I mean like if they came in and they were talking really soft about an illness that didn't I didn't identify with I'd be yeah. like I don't think you have the same thing I have I'm sorry yeah, man like yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna I don't know if I'm gonna keep coming because it sounds like you got something a little gentler than yeah. what I'm going through because yeah. again I was a raging lunatic yes. that was out there being arrested causing crime selling mm-hmm. drugs again thief liar all these things Lucky and you sold bananas right and if I came in and you were like oh well, I mean I just have a substance use disorder I'd be like you and I don't have the same illness. Yeah. I've got other but things that, going on. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing in early recovery. Something for me, like it was hard for me to connect with people uh, on like therapy or my counselor and programs mm-hmm. with somebody that didn't have that same type of experience. Sure. And when I, I went to the Hamilton house in uh, Dorchester and then mm-hmm. my, my counselor there ran like I ran. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it opened up me to, to not be like holding back information or, mm-hmm. you know, just looking at them differently where like this guy he, you know, he calls BS when he sees it, held me accountable. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He did A, B, and C, and D, and that's exactly what I did. So it was just something that we could connect on, and it was easier for me to, like, communicate the things that I was going through with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But from somebody who had 
been in the trenches of, of their drug addiction compared to like, you know, the, the softer language of the illness and the sickness and stuff like that. Well, I think Maureen, you talked about that being beneficial for, for you, you know, for the parent, for the family, um, you know, to, to better understand and appreciate or wrap your head around this illness or, you know, feel more comfortable about the fact that this is happening and it's not like a moral failing and has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the character. You know, it's, it's, it's an illness. And for the families, I think the, 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 the language is extremely important, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. And I think in a medical setting, too. Mm-hmm. That, yes. You know, you're bringing somebody into an emergency room. You don't want to say, I have my raging, you know, I can't even a say. heroin <laughs> addict. I, I brought a son. Yeah, I brought a, a liar and a thief to <laughs> yeah. you. I'm hoping you help. Hopefully they don't manipulate you for more drugs somehow yeah. <laughs> before they leave. I mean, you know, I'm still getting reports of people saying that um, they they don't, when they're narcating somebody, they don't say, I have somebody's overdosing. I have somebody who is not, um, who's not breathing, who's not responsive, because they're still afraid of that. So I think that, you know, when we start talking about language, if we, if we, you know, we have to be very careful in the medical setting, I think. Yeah. And also with parents that are new to this and they, you know, to explain the, the, you know, physiological things that happen and that create addiction, I think it's more palatable mm. and because we don't want, you know, to go back to that old tough love. They're a, they're a liar. They're a cheat. Let's cut them off, you know? Right. So yeah. I think somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I read an article the other day that said, uh, I think it was in, in Europe or something. They say uh, opiate poisoning. Yeah. I've got someone here that's experiencing an opioid poisoning. Yeah, uh, because it's not an overdose until they die. That's mm-hmm. the way they're looking at. It. So it's not an overdose. It's this is opioid poison, opiate poisoning. Oh, we're gonna and give the, we're uh, gonna give our government some great ideas on how to milk the statistics. Yeah. Definitely with that one. <laughs> just a little. Yeah, this yeah. is this was just opiate yeah, poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I don't. I, I think I think it's definitely beneficial for the family with the language, mm. and especially with if you look at when I was getting high and what my family had to go through, like my father couldn't talk to anybody because it was his fault that I turned to an addict. My mother, same thing. And a lot of times they felt like that when like, I wasn't raised to be a heroin addict. I wasn't raised to, to, to go down the path that I went down. Mm -hmm. If anything, they wanted the complete opposite. And I feel like a lot of parents bear that burden. And when their kid is like caught in the grips of it, they try to overcompensate so much Mm -hmm. and, and feeling like it's on them or that it's their fault that they, put so much pressure on them trying to fix it when ultimately it, it, it's not their fault that it happened and it's not their love. That's going to, that's going right. to save them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like educating them on that and the language around that for parents, it's definitely something that, that is helpful, especially in today's day and age where it is a, it's such a relevant topic, whether you're in, you know, Beverly or Dorchester, whether you're in Lexington mm-hmm. or Somerville, like wherever you go, addiction is hitting. And um, you know, I feel like, trying to educate parents the right on, 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 you know, the causes of addiction and just dealing with the, with their own journey of trying to just support and love their, their struggling son or daughter, you know, it's definitely helpful. <clears throat> Two different journeys. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's really important. Support. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's the, that's so important because, you know, I, and, and like you said, I don't know, 10 years ago, I didn't know where to go. And what I wound up doing is going to Matt <laughs> like five times a day, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes more. And um, so, yeah, Matt taught me everything I know about, about not only helping my own daughter, but helping anybody else. Mm-hmm. And also the attitude to have when helping somebody mm-hmm. that you, you know, the door is always open. Mm-hmm. There's no giving up on anybody. There's um, 
just, um, you know, you, you were an enormous part of my, a uh, part of my education in this whole thing, both in helping my, my own child and learning how to help myself and, and, and stop helping so much mm-hmm. <laughs> my own child. And, um, but also in everything I learned too, and how to, how to go about, you know, I, you're the only person I ever met that even when working for a treatment center, somebody calls you and you still help them just as much as, yeah. as if they were going into your treatment center. And that's very unusual. Well, yeah, for, well, I mean, I don't know what we're helping people. You know, right. I mean? like it's, I get working in, in the treatment industry. Um, I get some of the perception. It gets frustrating for me when I see other people that don't care as deeply. You know what I mean? Because being in it, you see that a lot of people are just there for, 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 for their clients or for only people that are going to benefit them. Right. And uh, I remember what it's like to be alone on, you know, on my last run where you pick the phone up and nobody answers. You know, my father wasn't answering. And it's because of what I caused. My mother, friends wanted no part of me because mm-hmm. like every time I called, it, it would be for something, uh, you know. And then when you call these places, uh, I don't know how, how it was for you. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's similar. But when we call, hey, no beds, call in an hour. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to repeatedly call. And they were so like, did not care <laughs> to try to help you or give you any help or any information. It was like really a lonely place because I already I feel like I'm a horrible human being. Mm-hmm. I already have the guilt and the shame. The window of opportunity to try to get help is so small. Like I would pick up the phone. I would call maybe one, two places. If I got shot down that day, who knows when the next time I was ready to try and get help. So when somebody calls me like, hey, I need help. Like I heard you. No, nah, I'm sorry. You, you know, you have mass health. Or, oh, I'm sorry. You have no insurance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like on the way over here, I was, I was getting somebody in high point for a free care bed. Right. Like you, you do things with the best intentions. Good things happen to you. And for me, like when I, I was foreign to the treatment industry, I didn't go to private treatment. I went through public programs. I never mm-hmm. left the state of Massachusetts, regardless if I worked for a place that was out of state. And I feel like because I, I, I tried doing the best I possibly could for people, regardless of their circumstances or where they went, these great opportunities ended up happening for me to the point that I was able to like bring a, you know, I built a treatment center in Massachusetts. I put all the pieces together and I staffed it and I put people that I felt like cared just as much as I do Mm. into the place to try to create this culture. But again, it just stems from like my staff doesn't just help the clients because I've instilled in them that like, if somebody calls you, regardless if, if we can get him into my place or whether we can get them into a high point, a Danvers cab or any other place that we possibly can, that if they call, we find them a bed Mm -hmm. and we don't stop until we try to find them a bed. And that's the truth. And I've Mm -hmm. never met anybody ever (laughs) met anybody that, that really said it and meant it the Mm -hmm. way you do. I mean, I'm not quite sure that, you know, I know for for sure I would have never gone into this if it wasn't for you because No, it's true. It's like, and I, I hopefully have helped a lot of people, but I, and it wouldn't helped a a tremendous amount of people. It Mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you though, because I learned what you're supposed to do first. And then I, then I saw all the bad stuff after that. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, this is, this is amazing. This is what this person does. And then I saw everybody else. And And, um, there's exceptions. Very very different. And a lot of, like, I've had a lot of friends that, like, get into that line of work, and I try to brace them beforehand that, like, you're going to see an ugly side of things. Because that's what it is. It's a really, there's some real scumbags out there. Yeah. And not to, to 
I have some other choice words, but I'm trying to keep it PG-13 to the best of my ability. But I just, people that, uh, they, they're, they're only in it for one reason. And yep. they, you know, and then people get treated like they're a number and not a human being or it's, it's just a really, really ugly, ugly side of, of, of recovery. And it, it shines a real dark light on like, people that are trying to do it the right way. Cause there are, there are a bunch of people out there that, that try to do it with genuine care and they, they want to help people and that's mm. the root of it. But I feel like a lot of like the dark, the bat, the worst part, the illegal activities, patient brokering, yeah. people that pick up the phone and if you don't have a certain type of insurance, they just shut you down and say, Hey, good luck here. We can't help you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's, I think that there's like a large shadow that get, gets cast, cast on, you know, on, on people that try to do it the right way. They end up all getting grouped in to the same type of, of practices. Mm-hmm. So, so when we, um, when you first, <clears throat> excuse me, first opened, I think it was the first mm-hmm. couple of weeks that you opened, we had Mandy on, um, mm-hmm. a couple, it's a couple months ago now, I guess. It was a couple but, months ago. Yeah. yeah. We had Mandy on and she talked about how she was doing and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, oh, okay. If you if you had read the book, Mike, you would know that. <laughs> <laughs> Another <Yeah>. day. <laughs> yeah. At least yeah. one an episode. <laughs> if um, oh, Mandy called me and I didn't know what to do with her, the first person mm-hmm. I called was Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and he said, "Bring her in." <laughs> to your point. I mean, I called uh, at those little moments yeah. where I was like, "Man, I got to go." You know, I got to go to detox. I got to go clean up. I got to do something. It was like I would, and this is going to age me a little bit, but I would beat my dealer. Yep. And then I would call detox and leave the voicemail with my social and my birth date or whatever. And I just see who calls first. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It was like, I called two or three detoxes. I called my dealer who I obviously owe a little money to. I'm going to see if he'll still call me back. Yeah. Let's see what happens today. You know, yeah. it's just a Tuesday. Yeah. You know, like if I, if I can go in, I'll go in. And it's like you, I mean, to, to wait for someone to get to the point where they're done, done comes with so much risk you yeah. know what i mean like it's those moments where it's like gotta, yeah i want to stop i want to stop but i don't know if i really want to stop but i'm willing to try it mm-hmm. you know and that's that maybe day that you get that mm-hmm. those are those phone calls that if you if if you as a professional you take that and you don't see that as a doorway in to try to help motivate someone to to take it to the next step then you're in it just for a job you're mm-hmm. like oh you, you're not ready you don't have the right insurance and for the We're person done. that's calling leaving their number in their social you're pushing them even further away from the opportunity of getting clean right because what happens when you don't jump on that opportunity and you're not pushing forward you're like all right well i'm just gonna go get high yeah. and who knows whenever that next time that you're like man i'm fed up i'm sick and tired of being sick and tired I'm not gonna call nobody's gonna answer yeah you know exactly I mean? and then you start using those excuses well, why don't now. you go to detox well the last 15 times i yeah. called they didn't have a bed and told me to call back in an hour right. you know what i mean mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's hard. I mean, you were talking about, you know, the, 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 the illegal side of this industry or like the, the sick, gross, you know, uh, money focused mm-hmm. side of this industry. And then there's the other side of it, which is the burnout side of this industry. Yeah. There's like, you know, there's underpaid overworked yep. people running the st- same state yep. system that you and I went through. Like I went through the Salvation Army, Danvers mm-hmm. Detox, mm-hmm. halfway houses, and the people working there, they want to help but they're not being paid like, enough for the yeah, work that they're and, doing. And they just get taxed. I mean, we're dealing with a sickness, a mm. sickness that like brings out the worst in people. And when you're in the field and you're trying to help that, you know, help people, you get, you get a great group of people. You got mm-hmm. some people that like push your stress levels right. to like insane heights. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a, there's a really bad burnout rate for working in the field. Of course there is. And a lot of times I feel like 
most of it, like my, my program, 95% of the staff is in recovery. Mm -hmm. And like, just because they work in the field doesn't mean that they're not just as close to going back out there. Like I never forget that regardless of whatever position I'm in, however many days, weeks, months, years that I have in recovery that like, I can always end up back homeless in the streets. Like, mm-hmm. That's always a possibility. It's real stuff. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Could happen again. Easily. Easily. <laughs> yeah. That's why we write the books. So we don't forget. <laughs> the poetry. The poetry is like the biggest thing for exactly. me. And not like I write some of the, the, the darkest things that I've been through and I reread it and I'm like, ah, you know what? Today I don't really feel like sleeping in Boston Commons yeah. <laughs> in 20 degree weather. Well, I don't yeah. feel like, you know, thinking my drug dealer was my best friend because he might have been the only person that would pick up the phone for me. <laughs> only one that seemed like they cared. Yes, I swear to God he cared. <laughs> Always called me back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. Now, for you, I mean, for Maureen, for like the, the family side of things, because, you know, we're talking about our attempts to call in. You know, mm-hmm. we're talking about our interaction with programs and how hard it is to, like, call and get compassion or call mm-hmm. and get, um, you know, somebody to see us as a human being in need of help and not just a junk bag yeah. who's probably called six other places and it doesn't even matter if they call us back yeah. because that's, yeah. that's, that's our side of things. But for you, for the parent, for the family, for the mom, for the dad that's calling in, trying to find help for their loved one, what was your experience? What did you get? Well, you know, so then that's the thing. It became really clear very, very quickly that she was not going to let me help her. Right. So it's like all the stuff that I, I learned because first, first, at first she wouldn't go in at all. So I just learned as much as I could possibly learn, tried to connect to other people while she was refusing treatment completely. And I didn't even know where she is. Mm-hmm. Once I really kind of started to learn what to do, then she, she wouldn't come to me. What mm-hmm. she wound up doing is she, a lot of times she would go to Matt. Mm-hmm. So now I know that what this is, so what I do when I deal with families and the, that they're trying to get their kids in, if I can get them to call me mm-hmm. while they're calling to try to get into treatment, now I keep checking in with them. At least they're not experiencing that. Right. They're not talking to their parents because they don't want to talk to their parents. Mm-hmm. And they're also not, and I'm not judgmental because it's not my child. Right? right. So I I'm one step back, but while they're calling five different places, they can call me and tell me how that's doing. And I can call them and say, Oh, did you hear anything back? Or I can, you know, see if I know anywhere that has a bed. Mm-hmm. And I, so I can be that person. And that's what Matt always did for my daughter. Right. So, um, I, I mean, because it's awful, but the parents aren't the ones that can help because nope. they're, they're, you know, teetering on the, am I going to go and as the time ticks away or am I just going to go get more drugs? And they know that they're, they're, they're disappointing their parents. Right. So that's, and that doesn't help that, that feeling of disappointing somebody does not make no. one pe- does not make people want not want to do drugs makes and me lo- want to do drugs and a lot of times for the family it's hard to even connect with the place because they're the ones that are making the phone calls more right. than their their son or daughter mm-hmm. and places won't even talk to them and then the struggle right. of even just getting your child to get on the phone right and then us as addicts to be like well if you give me 40 dollars right now i'll get on the phone and get to detox yeah i never well, give that's anybody that, $40, that's how desperate so. <laughs> yeah. well that, i mean you were saying earlier like that the, or actually, I think you were saying that the, you know, the family, they didn't cause it. You can't get in there and really do much about it. It's like, you know, if they don't have a you or me yeah. or a Maureen or somebody, an advocate somebody that's, that's showing them or telling them, yep. then they're in it and they feel like they caused it. And they feel mm-hmm. like if they caused it, as long as they can figure out how it was started, then they mm-hmm. can go in and stop it. Looking for the and fix it. Man, can yep. they cause a lot of damage on the way? <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like a lot of compromises, yep. bribes. And you got this, this you know, person struggling with addiction. Addict, 
whatever. <laughs> yeah, you, got, you got this person Substance in the family who, who, because of their illness, has them so willing and capable to manipulate oh, and lie, cheat, steal. Your, we're going to tear and then you got heartstrings. Yeah. And then you got mom and dad in there like, what can I do? Yeah, yeah. What do you what, need? What do you, how do we fix this? How and you're compromise? like, I mean, it's real simple. I just need you like your car and a hundred bucks. Yeah, and this right thing now. is good <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's done. And then you get it and then it's like, yeah. hey, not tonight, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just and, need to sleep. I'm yeah, really yeah, tired. I'm too tired to do this. You're stressing me out. I'm going to go get hot. parents on such eggshells. They don't want to push. They don't want to pull. Oh, well, I got to three. Well. All right, now he's saying no, but I don't want to push it. He's in a good space now because obviously we're high. Oh, my God. I'm in yeah. the best space. Ma, I love you. I'm sorry for all the pain that I caused until I wake yeah. up the next morning. I'm sitting on the toilet like, Ma, I need $100. <laughs> now. <laughs> now. It's so funny because you think that you know your child better than anybody. How are you going to say something that... How are you going to say something that I couldn't say? I know my kid. You don't know them. Right. But, but we know the illness. <laughs> you know who exactly. your kid was before they got sick. Yep. Exactly. We know, know them the now. Yeah, so we what, know them now. I know what drives them today. So my daughter wouldn't talk to me. She would only text me when she was really in a bad yeah. way. And um, I used to say, I'd, I'd send the text to Matt. He would tell me what to say. And I would take, change the pronouns and send it back to her. And then eventually she'd start saying, Jesus. <laughs> God, you're really good. I never would have thought about it like that before. I mean, neither would have I, because yeah. I, but it was his words. But she wouldn't, at that point, she, she hadn't developed a relationship where she could call him yet. Yeah, yeah. And we were like kind of in that, in that middle ground there where um, mm. I was still, she was still talking to me and I didn't know what to say. Oh, I mm. thought I did, but what, I, what he was telling me to say is not what I would have said. Well, so it's like there's reg regular parenting doesn't apply. Right. No. Exactly. So whatever you whatever yeah, you've got logical whatever, thinking does yeah, not work. Whatever instinctual <laughs> parenting that you've been doing probably really well for years prior has absolutely nothing to do with how to deal with someone that's struggling with substance abuse. Nothing right. at all. It's a completely different animal. Mm -hmm. And that love and compassion and pity and all that stuff that you have for us when we're sick is actually the conduit that we use to get in there yep. exactly. and get the things that we want. So you're in there trying to love and help and we're using that love to try to keep our sickness growing yeah. because we're so sick. And that's something that like you need somebody that's outside of the circle to step in and say, Hey, you got to cut that out. Exactly. Exactly. Girl. And then she wouldn't get mad at him. You know, when, when, you know, she, she knows better. No, and <laughs> like, oh, this guy my, gets it. <laughs> my answer, my answer became, I love you very much. Yeah. I will not contribute to anything that will, that will contribute to killing yourself, but I will do anything I can to help you now call Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what Matt said. <laughs> and that's really hard. I mean, to, to get, and I know you see it, you know, you're getting those phone calls. I assume you get them from parents too, mm -hmm. right? All yeah. the time. And you know, the, those phone calls where it's like, what do I say to them? What can I do? What can I change? And it's like, there's really not a lot. I mean, if you want to intervene, there's certain things that you can do, but yeah. otherwise it's like the one thing you need to stop doing is whatever you were doing before you called me. Yeah. Start there. Well, that, what Maureen was just saying on like, I will not contribute to your disease is the biggest thing. Don't mm -hmm. hand over money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can still love somebody from afar. Yep. I mean, yeah, and that's not even that's not even really tough love. That's just common yeah. sense. Like yeah. if you keep stealing from me, but, I should probably not hang yeah, out with you. Like, exactly. You and, cannot. You're not allowed at the house because jewelry or right. my checkbook goes missing. Yep. Yeah. My wallet. You keep goes breaking missing. dishes, being yeah. in my fish tank, stealing my stuff, like yeah. yelling at the kids. Like there's a hundred reasons you shouldn't be at my yes. house. Yep. But I would compromise that because you're my kid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So when you sit with someone like yourself, but when or you Maureen, and when you remove yourself from this, this situation, Maureen was saying it earlier. It's really easy to help from an outside perspective when you're not emotionally invested. Yeah. So like I also, for me personally, 
there's a lot of people that I've been able to help. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes to like, and my mother had some things that, that mm -hmm. went on with her that mm -hmm. like, forget it. All the, every, everything I'm really good at, I was horrendous with. <laughs> You're emotionally yeah. compromised. Yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm compromised. Yeah. In this yeah. Right? Good, very close friends. Like it's hard for me mm -hmm. to do anything because like I'm emotionally invested. I have years, like right. I'm blinded by certain things where like, whether, you know, I've taken friends uh, to my center mm -hmm. where like I completely, I am not involved in any right. of this because like our friendship will compromise any integrity I have with this job mm -hmm. just because like I have too much investment. Uh, there's an emotional connection. There's history, memories, all that other stuff compared to like helping Katie in the mm -hmm. beginning. I didn't have that. Yeah. I didn't have the same emotional connection with her that I have now because it's, you know, we've known each other for years at this point, but in the beginning it's easy to be that mm -hmm. outside perspective of course. where you're not in the thick of it. And sometimes when you have those blinders on, you're, you're looking for that quick fix. Mm -hmm. what, how can I, how can I resolve this mm -hmm. with this? So I can do this to help her get there. You right. just have blinders on on like, well, it's you know, contagious, man. Yeah. The closer you get to it and the longer mm -hmm. you're around it, the sicker you're going to get. Absolutely. You know? And if you, if you care about them, if you love them, you compromise. There's mm -hmm. not much you can do mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Especially if you, birthed them yeah <laughs> right. brought them into this world is like i find myself i get attached to some of these kids that we give that magnolia gives scholarships yeah. to so like for example you have somebody right now at barry's and we he's do. all yours now i if mm -hmm. any <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be in for all the good stuff and anything bad i hope it not ha it doesn't happen but he's john's baby now <laughs> i think he's got a move out date of like 2022 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a long yeah he's just staying he says yeah. he's an awesome we got him guy. we got him a permanent room yeah. no but yeah. he, now he's like a son so i yeah. know that i would not be able to i wouldn't be able to make good decisions you can't think objectively you, yeah. you just can't do it i mean you can't no. you can't look at a situation like that where you know that person has any emotional control or power over you um mm -hmm. and that's why i, I look at it as a, um uh steve jobs used to talk about this reality distortion field or people used to talk about it mm -hmm. about him that like when you were with him and he would start spitting ideas out that this was like this reality distortion field. All the things that aren't really possible seemed possible when you talk to him. Yeah. And you know, the same could be said with, with us when we're sick, like there's a reality distortion field. Like yeah. you're sitting with me and like you said earlier, <laughs> I'll steal your money and yeah. apologize. I'm like I got your wallet in my pocket, but I'm like, it could have, that window was a little open. Yeah, like somebody, somebody could have, have done it and we should <laughs> check. And yeah. you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. we probably should. <laughs> well, and cause you want to believe you know. it's not yeah. you. Right. That's you know what that. it is. Illusionally, yeah. you want to believe, right. you know, you want to believe that, that everything that we're saying is truth and it's just right. But it's never, not. And that's the reality distortion field. So the simple fact, the simple act of taking somebody out of that for a few minutes mm -hmm. and just letting the fog clear and they're yeah. like, wow, it's really yeah. is chaotic. And that's what you do, Maureen. That's what yeah. you do with those phone calls with that, mm -hmm. that first interaction. It's like just giving them enough time to not be drowning in it mm -hmm. so they can look around and be like, whoa, I think. I think you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might need to do something about this. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And that's invaluable. I mean, what, what parent doesn't want a little bit of time to clear their head? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. not, and not to have to make the, all the decisions because when you don't know what you're doing and when right. it's so important. Yeah. I, I, you know, because like, you can't know everything. <laughs> no, what, but that, that's one of the luxuries that we have in today's day and age is that you can do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like parent support groups out there. Like anytime I have a mother that calls me, for, for a child, I always try to push them, whether it's mm -hmm. an online thing, if they're not comfortable meeting in person or something that's like a peer driven where there's other support. Cause like families need that same type of healing mm -hmm. that, that the struggling addict needs. 
They need that network. They need somebody to bounce ideas off of. Well, you know, my wallet went missing and the window was open a crack. My son swore to God that somebody could have snuck in in the five minutes we weren't around. Yeah, he took it. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the panel, but yeah, yeah, your kid stole it. Yeah. <laughs> He's helping you look for it yeah. while he had it hidden. Yeah, he posted it on Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and, and I mean, that's the, uh, it's like, you know, the, the, the parents, they, they want to believe so bad. So bad. So bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I mean, if you, if you can get on the phone with somebody that can, can, give you even just a little bit of insight, yeah. you know, just, just a little bit of like, no, is it, is it possible that your son took the wallet? I mean, I guess it's possible. All right. Well, you know, do you know why? I mean, who else would want to take it? What, it just explore that just for a little yeah. bit. Sometimes it's really beneficial. And even just saying like whatever the scenario is, yeah, when say, you it just say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. Saying it, <laughs> hear it out loud. Yeah. It's like, Oh wait, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that I'm doesn't like, sound the same as it did in my head. <laughs> because Pat, you can't believe that your kid would do that. Yeah. You know, you just, you can't wrap your head around it. Mm. Even this still, I like, I will go looking for things and they won't be there. And I'm like, well, maybe they'll awesome. Like, no, they're gone. Maureen, stop. They're gone. Mm-hmm. She, we were cleaning out the house um, because I moved and I had golf clubs and, standing in the in the garage saying oh well you know i haven't used them in a really long time i'm like but i want to use them and um and randy said why don't you just put them on craigslist and katie looked over and said no they won't sell i already did that <laughs> <laughs> i already tried i'm like yeah. oh my god my golf clubs were almost not here <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny oh god all right i would like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode of collateral damage As always, if you'd like to find out all of the different ways that you can listen to and subscribe to our podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.cdpodcast.com. There are many different ways to listen, download, and subscribe, so we encourage you to choose the one that is most appropriate for you. And as always, we would encourage our listeners to get informed and stay connected. Thank you for joining us.